We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Jody Lasky, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. You are the CEO of Introvert Founder, which I tell everyone I'm a highly functioning introvert. People do not energize me at all. I fake it really well. I think I told you also before that I've used this show to actually practice talking to people, which I think people are like, that's silly, but I need to. Um, So what I want to do is just really dig into the introverted entrepreneur and the founder. I find that a lot of the technical people that I talk to that are founders that literally I just want to build the thing. But if you're an an entrepreneur and a founder, you're going to have to talk to people. (laughs) So yeah, we'll we'll get right into it. But uh, before we do all that, as I always like to say, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? So I was an actual entrepreneur, operational entrepreneur for a lot of years. I had a defense contracting company, and then I had a more traditional or more normal tech startup. Uh, And when I started with the tech startup and I moved away from the government side, I started going from D.C. up to New York fairly frequently to go to startup events because D.C. has a lot of great things, but not a great startup community, at least not at that time. And I would go up about once a month for a few days and go to events and talk to the same people at the same events over and over again, and they weren't making progress. And I sort of wound up falling into coaching then. Took a break for the pandemic, shut down my business, did the regular job thing. And about last year, I started getting the itch to start uh, coaching again. And I decided to do it a little more consciously this time and actually lay the fa- framework and have a business name and and do it all as an actual business and take it seriously instead of completely like just, you know, running into people and, and having conversations that turned into coaching sessions. So that's where I am now. And, and I decided to sort of 
focus on introverts because when you read all of the books out there about how to start a business, it's really written from the extrovert's standpoint a lot of times. Or you watch TV and the introverts are always the butt of the jokes, right? But but we bring a lot of superpowers to to startups, to building businesses. We just have to look at it all differently. So that's what I help my clients do. Wow. Lots to unpack there. <laughs> especially coming from a introvert myself, I, I agree that there's like some super hidden powers to the introverted folk that can sort of sit back and kind of soak it all in and analyze. I think the, that's the one thing I've found that's been kind of an interesting dynamic between the different co-founders I've had. You know, a lot of them are extroverted and like they're the ones that love getting on the plane and going everywhere. And I'm like, I just want to stay home and, you know, do the work. I think it's fascinating because you have to have a skill set that is complementary. And so I was, I'm wondering if you could kind of go through, you know, you, you noticed or you said something about the superpowers of, of introverts. Everyone knows that the superpowers of extroverts, but I wonder if you could kind of compare and contrast them. Because I think a lot of people miss this, is that the complementary skill set for founders is super important. And it doesn't mean that you're bad or doesn't mean you're good or what, like, whatever, but like having a co-founder with complementary skills is just a superpower amplifier in itself. Yeah. Complementary skills and complementary personalities. You know, when, when you have too much of, of one thing, you're not covering the rest of the bases. Starting a business, there is a lot to do. And if you both have the same, are, are clones of the, the same person, you have one very small niche of stuff you're going to get done. It is perfect for the techie introverted guy to partner with the extroverted sales guy. You get both things covered that way. Intro as introverts, we tend to be very thoughtful, very methodical, and have reasons for doing what we're doing. We also don't deal well with things like small talk. So we jump right in and get to the heart of the matter where other people are, when other people are still talking about the weather. Yeah. Yeah. The, the chit chat is the, my, the bane of my existence. Yeah. So, so I, I always mean, suggest to anyone going to a networking event to ask people what they're excited about. Have that as your opening because yeah. Extroverts will take that and run with it. But introverts are like, yes, we're skipping the small talk. I'll tell you what I'm excited about. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I think one of the other things that's super interesting that I've learned is if you've got hobbies, that even if you have to do small talk, the hobby, depending on how eclectic the hobby is, is just another opener that's like makes you unique and different. And it's not necessarily, I mean, it's small talk, but it's small talk and something you're interested in, right? So you know, I, I do jujitsu. So anytime I know anyone that's like doing that either has done jujitsu or is interested in jujitsu, for me, it's easy to talk about because I do it. And it's, it's not like a weather thing. It's a getting to know you kind of thing. Right. Find out a lot about someone by what they do for a hobby. And it's interesting that you mentioned like getting right down to it. Like, let's just get through the warm up phase and go right to like, let's get right. stuff done. 
how do you handle that with some of your clients? You know, I mean, the extrovert kind of needs that warm up, to be honest. And it's kind of like, you know, warming up when you're, when you're exercising. You know, some people warm up, some people don't. But how do you handle that? How, how do you, how do you kind of get them to like understand that that's actually a, a part of it that they need to do? Part of it is reminding them that you've chosen to be a leader. I also recommend highly that that people take notes on the stuff, not right in front of their employees, but one of the, our downfalls is we forget to then follow up on the stuff that we should when it's in the personal realm. Use technology to remind you. Use your extroverted assistant to remind you. But all of those follow-up things that we're not good at, we still have to do as introverted leaders. But we don't have to like think about it consciously. We can use tech to remind us. I've yeah. had people tell me that that becomes less authentic. And I'm telling you, when your employee's kid is in the you know state championships for baseball, they don't care why you remember to ask. They just care that you remember. Yeah, no, that's interesting you, you bring that up. I mean, <laughs> I'm notoriously bad at remembering dates and birthdays. So my calendar is filled with these things. And yeah. I'm just to make sure that I remember. And it's because I, for dates, I don't really have a good memory for it. So it's just part of my nature, just a different thing. So- I like that. I like the whole idea of trying to make it easier. I mean, there's tools out there for a reason. And, and I think you're right. I don't think people really care how you remember. They just care that you remember. You know, they cared that you like asked, you know. And yep. so I'm, I'm just curious, how do you get introverts to get into that mindset of asking, like being interested, even though they're not? I have found that you don't actually have to ask. Extroverts will just tell you. And, and your introverted employees don't really care. Like they're, they're happy to like stay focused on their work, have the, the work professional discussion, but people who want that will let you know because they'll, they'll bring it up. They'll say stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you're right. I mean, yeah. If, think yeah if, you, if you give people a couple of seconds, most people will fill the silence, especially an extrovert and, and an ambivert. So people aren't like, it's not a a one zero type of thing. It's, it is a content continuum. So we've got the extreme extroverts, the extreme introverts in the middle. We've got everything, including ambiverts. So they'll, they'll sort of let you know. And the more extroverted they are, the more they'll fill the silence and they'll let you know these things that, that they want you to be able to check in on them with. Yeah. I like the idea of questions. I've often, I've lacked this skill and I've learned it over time you just start asking questions, think people think you're a great conversationalist, even though you haven't said anything. And for an introvert, that's like, that's super powerful, right? especially Absolutely. if you're you know, generally interested. But even if you're not, I think to your point, have those questions ready, you know. And in the extreme case, you can have them written on a card. <laughs> Memorize them. And we're really good at embracing the silence. So just don't ask a question like, how are you? Because everyone responds, I'm fine. Okay, but like, how are you really? Like, what is the key question? And everyone has to figure that out. What is their question that will go beyond the, the no, no, we're not taught, you know, we're not going for, for the you know, socially acceptable answer. I want to know how things really are. Yeah, my, my late wife, Jane, called it the PR answer. 
she she never liked the PR answer. I mean, my fiance now. She's a little more kind about it. But the PR answer was never the answer that was satisfying enough. You know? Yeah, it's interesting because the dynamics are so, can be so stark. I know my, my boss, Val, he, he likens it to the tortoise and the hare kind of mentality. Whereas the introverts, the tortoise that just plugs along and the extroverts, the hare that's just like hairs on literally hair on fire needing to like absorb and run around and do everything. I'm curious if you use any, any kind of metaphors or like, you know, actually I'd love to hear more a little bit about your framework and to see how, you know, that kind of, how, how it gets adapted to each kind of person. Cause you know, again, I mean the true, like we all love framework. I mean, introverts, I think love frameworks more than extroverts because we like, this is what we have to do or at least uh -huh. engineers. I'm just curious if you could kind of go over that and like how, how, how it gets adapted to each of the ones that each person finds themselves. So I am an accountability and leadership coach for primarily introverts. And I have a lot of clients with ADHD, like attracts like. I'm an introvert with ADHD. That tends to be a lot of my clients. But what I developed this year is a framework where I have taken the agile software development framework and adapted it for building a business faster, more effectively, without sacrificing every other part of your life to do that. So introverts love it because I'm pretty adamant that you work, you know, a 40 or a 50 hour work week, whatever you decide, and that's it. You work Monday through Friday and you take weekends basically off um, and, and recharge and deal with the rest of your life and so on. And and extroverts can take that same thing and and go and and do their thing nights and weekends and and get their recharging done and and ha remember that you are a total person, not just a founder, not just an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs think that they do have to be I mean, in some cases, if you don't know what you're doing, you need to like get up to speed. But I had a I had a great boss, co-founder, colleague, mentor, actually as well. He'd always say if, if you're not if you're working more than forty hours a week, you're doing something wrong. Like your business is just not and, and whatever that number is, but it, right. it just means you need more help or you need to focus more or you're doing things that aren't productive, right? Yep. And I never, you know, because when I was younger, I'd be working 60, 70 hours. But as I get older, I realize that the downtime is where the thought, thinking, synthesis, and the integration of ideas comes. I wonder how, if, if, what, if in your experience, and I don't know, like the age range of your clients, if you find a different kind of dynamic from an older versus younger entrepreneur, any, any thoughts on that? I'm sorry, I missed that. The internet connection got a little wonky again. Can you can you repeat the question? Oh yeah, sure. Differences in ages, like age groups, like young versus old, entrepreneur. Any kind of mostly just like they don't know what they're doing, or how, how do you adapt? Tell tell them to slow it down or speed it up. I think most entrepreneurs don't really know what they're doing. You know, if if this were easy, everyone 
would do it. I think entrepreneurs of all ages get into that. I have to hustle. Like that's the, that's the thing, right? If you're not hustling, you're not doing. And that's true across all ages. And, and what I work with my clients on is realizing marathon sprint. Which are you doing here? If you're building a business for, to sustain you, you have to remember that it's a marathon and, and slow down. I worked with the military for a long time. There's a common saying in the military, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Slow down, make a lot more uh, progress that way. I think of most entrepreneurs as the reverse ducks. So ducks, you know, they look like they're moving effortlessly and they're, meanwhile, their feet are paddling furiously. Most entrepreneurs are, look like they're doing a lot, but they're not making any progress. Reverse duck, like that. The reverse duck. And, and you mentioned that you had a business before you started doing this in mm -hmm. contract. Was it, you said defense contracting? Oh, no, defense contracting. Defense, defense. I was in defense contracting, and then I had a tech startup before I started coaching. How, how is, how, how's the difference between, like, the defense and the tech startup? What, was the defense contractor in tech, or was it a little bit different, or? Oh, it, definitely oh, in cool. tech, but, but the, the approaches are completely different. Like I thought I've been doing this for 10 years. I know how to start a business. I know what I'm doing. And I tried to apply any of my 10 years of lessons to my tech startup and had to backtrack and say, okay, never mind. This is something totally new. How how do we how do we do it in this this sphere? Interesting. So do you have an engineering background? I don't. I'm an attorney. Attorney. Oh. Wow. <laughs> How did you get involved with like laser tag from the military? Uh, I met some really smart people. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know I have some buddies that are in the military, but I didn't know, um, you know, I, I didn't know what they used to train, but I've, I've heard of this system. Is it, is it the, there's only like one or two of these systems in the world, right? Is one of them this? No, there's, I mean, there, there's a bunch of companies that make similar. I never wound up being able to sell mine to the government. But the, the technology is called Miles. And I, I joke that Miles was state-of-the-art in 1979, and, you know, so was <laughs> I. So, like, this is part of the problem with how we train soldiers today. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. No. Bunch of my buddies that are in, yeah. They always have fun, fun stories. Fun stories and frustrations about yeah. everything and anything and the bureaucracy and all that. I'm sure it's similar when you're a defense contractor, right? Absolutely. And that's what I was used to and looking for ways around the bureaucracy and, and how to play all those games. And then the tech world is a totally different set of rules, a totally different set of games. Like in, in defense, certain things happen on a yearly cycle. Other things happen on like a three-year cycle. You just sort of know it's going to be long and slow. And, and in the tech world, that can be anywhere from, you know, a week to three weeks to three years. And it's not, there, there aren't laws that say you only get to do these things once a year. So it, it happens whenever chaotic. Yeah. Tech sector is chaotic. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's the whole thing when, when entrepreneurs get into something that they got to understand the sales cycle, development cycle, 
And just because you want to go fast doesn't mean the market goes fast. And um, Well, and just because you want to be slow and thoughtful about something doesn't mean the market will allow that either. That is also true. You've got to run at the speed of the market. You can't really run at your own pace. That's part of the reason, you know, you see all these on these startups that have just been dumped full of money in these last couple of years that have kind of faltered. It, they weren't really building for longevity or building for profitability. They were building to keep up because, you know, the gamble, like everyone thinks, is that you're the last company standing. Therefore, you get the majority of the category. Therefore, you get the majority of the money big exit. I don't know. I, I just find that, I, yeah, I wonder if introverts have a different kind of thought on like the failure part of it. Like it is, cause for me, I internalize it more for my extrovert friends. They're just like, it's part of the game. And I, for whatever reason have to learn, do you find that the internalizations like, cause you, you mentioned introverts are a little more thoughtful, a little more methodical. I'm wondering if you have to We tend to that. be in our heads a lot more. So exactly. yeah. Yep. If, if our businesses don't make it, we take it personally as opposed to, okay, but like single digit of companies will succeed or, you know, they don't, they don't raise the, the funds they needed to in the current round. All right. But like most companies are never funded. So what are you going to do instead? But yeah, we, we take things a lot more personally because we put more of ourselves into it. That's a good point. Yeah, because I've always struggled with this. You know? I've been at, I don't know, six, seven startups. Some of them have been okay. I still got to work. It's not like I've got the big exit. Yeah. The ones that failed felt more personal. And how do you how do you coach someone through that? I mean, that's a pretty big... I would think a pretty big problem. Well, and I went through it myself. So that makes it a little bit, I wouldn't say easier, but I can empathize a lot more. I understand the process. I understand the embarrassment and the anger and the frustration over having to apply for a job, having to take a normal, having to work for someone else again. In my case, I took a job that I sort of didn't really, I don't want to say I didn't care about it, at least not in a podcast that other people might hear, but I have a position now where if I succeed, great. If I don't, I know the people who got it instead of me will do basically the same exact job. And so it's, it's not something that at the end of the day, I take emotionally. And I needed that when my startup failed. I needed to do work that gave me the steady income and the good health insurance and a 40-hour week job that was just a job. And, and it worked out really well for a number of years because that's what I needed to recover. And it did take several years to recover. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That recovery time, I've felt that. I have a friend who calls it monk mode. He's going to monk mode. It's funny because I am yeah, not a, not the same problem. Unmanageable, mostly. <laughs> Even that, I'm an introvert. I'm kind of unmanageable. It's just hard for me to have thoughts. I'm, I'm learning 
a lot more to be a little more calm about it. I think the I think that's the problem I always had was that I always had this altruistic view or like, of course I'm doing the right thing. What do I have to tell you? Like, come on, like just it's a trust thing, I think. And I think again, because introverts are very, a lot more thoughtful, I think that kind of comes into the credibility and the trust. Like, well, it's just me. Like I'm doing the right thing. I'm just like and people they just don't trust people. Well, managers get to sort of choose, but you have to choose. You either make the decision that you're going to trust everyone until they show you they can't be trusted, or you're going to trust no one until they prove they can be. And some of us, you, me, we need the kind that, that is going to trust us to be the professionals that we are, do our jobs, and, and if we lose trust, then we deserve it. But earning trust is hard. Earning trust takes time. And at the beginning of a job, when you're already maybe a little nervous, trepidatious, whatever brought you there, you know, it's not always, especially if you're, you're, you were an entrepreneur and you're not really necessarily happy about having to take the, take any job to then have to do all that work to build trust and build rapport is exhausting. Yeah. That. I had never thought of it that way. It's the exhaustion of doing all that work that most extroverts like love. I never thought of it that way, that the exhaustion of building trust for someone that inherently either is thoughtful or trustworthy or assumes other people are trustworthy. I think that's probably one of the traps introverts get into that to trust it. Do you find that as well? That there's a too, too much of a trusting thing? I, I don't think that's an introvert extrovert thing. I think people just fall into the, you know, one of the two buckets, trust everyone or trust no one. Yeah. But for an introvert that's trusting, it's harder because you have to put in the effort and time and brain energy that you normally wouldn't want to spend. <laughs> right. Kind of well, and, and for an introvert who's not trusting, they're always on guard. So yeah. that's gonna, going to exhaust them also. Yeah. So e either way, just people. People are exhausting for us. Yeah. Do you think that gets better over time? Is there like a way that introverts, especially introverted founders, I mean, you know, you're a founder. You're going to have to be out there talking to people. I'm sorry. That's just life. If you're the founder, people are going to want to talk to you, especially if they're going to give you money. They're going to want to see your face. Like, mm -hmm. Sorry. That's just how it is. I, the, the key is to be thoughtful about the opportunities. So with in-person events, making sure that there is really a reason to go to it as opposed to the hustle. Like everyone says you have to go to all these events. So you go to them and then you're too tired to actually work on your business. No, know why you're going to an event. Um, in terms of phone calls and meetings and all of that, minimize the points of contact. And by that, I mean, I mean, make them count, but also don't use Zoom if a phone call will work. Don't use, have a phone call if an email will work. Like, don't give your energy away unless you know that there's a reason for it. Huh. So you really have to manage your energy or, or your, your, yeah, I guess, when it comes, like, what's interesting when it comes to creativity, I always have this analogy where I wake up in the morning with a bucket of creativity 
And when the bucket's empty, I'm done. <laughs> like, yep. no more creativity. Like, I'm going to have to take a walk or like, mm -hmm. it's not going to be my best work, right? I wonder if that analogy holds true for this or do you use it differently? I haven't used that one, but I definitely can say it applies to me. I write vampire novels because it amuses me. Oh, and, you're a and writer. So awesome. I am. I get up at five in the morning mm -hmm. so that I can journal and work on my novel and have the, the most amount of my creative brain space for that before I start my day job. And I do that because the creativity runs out and my day job involves writing and it involves a very technical form of writing that will suck the creativity out of you. So yeah. I start the day giving my most focused creativity to stuff that's for me. I'm not a morning person. I hate morning. I would, I, I would only see 5 a.m. if it were at the end of the night instead of the <laughs> beginning of the day. If it were up, for, up to me, I have a friend who has a theory that I write vampire novels because I am a vampire. I'm not, I promise. But, but. This is what I have had to do yeah. to have the energy and the creative brain space for the projects that matter to me. It's yeah. five in the morning. No one else is awake. No one else is intruding on my time. I get to be creative without yeah. anyone else around. I mean, even my, my dog gets half the time will just sort of look at me like, yeah, you have fun. I'm staying in bed. Yeah. Wow. It's so fascinating. How, how many novels have you written so far? Great. Awesome. And, yeah. and, you just like the vampire genre just because... Only one, yeah. Well, only two of them are vampire novels. Like, okay. I've played with some other stuff also, but All right. none and of them are out yet. I'm still still trying oh. to decide if I'm going to self-publish or, okay. or traditional publish, but yeah. Okay, so three completed novels that are sort of still under wraps, still trying to figure out if the yeah. world should see them. Exactly. And what's what's the what's the genre other than vampire? Is it a, you know, what's the sort of the what, women's fiction? Women's my, yeah, my 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 main vampire book is called Bite the Patriarchy. Love it, love it. Okay, so women's empowerment vampire fiction. Yeah, would that be yep, pretty close. Pretty close. As a fellow author, I've written and published eight books. Oh wow. Yeah, the, the latest one is a memoir about my late wife, Jane, who died of leukemia. Um, interesting, that's how I met Barbara. That's what she said. Yeah, Jane died. I did a seminar, a, webinar, a live webinar, and she was just shocked. Like, what are you doing here? And I go, what else am I going to do? I'm going to sit at home. You know, apparently that's brave to do, but which, you know, I found, I don't know if this is the case with you, but the writing just just such a great release to get the things rattling around in your head, you know, on a tan in a tangible form. You know? It's just therapeutic for some reason. I don't know if you feel the same way. It is. And that's certainly part of the introversion in us. Extroverts may talk to a good friend about those things, but for us, it's pen to paper, fingers to keyboard, whichever, to get those, those thoughts and emotions out. Yeah, I've I've only written one fiction book. It was actually a chapter book <laughs> under a pen name, which I won't get into. 
was the only one. Oh, it was see, fun. It was, now I feel the need to like try to hunt it down. But okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably you'll never in a billion years find it, right? Because okay. it's, it's the whole thing. But it was a historical fantasy, I guess. And what was fun is I my my fiance has a daughter, so I wrote it with her, which was really cool. Like we just like kind of beat. But it's like the first. I had that one that it's published under a pen name. And then there's another one that I did that I never published. I did. Do, do you, do you, are you familiar with NaNoWriMo? You heard of NaNoWriMo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yep. Grant Faulkner actually was the first guest on this podcast. That's how, how much I love NaNoWriMo and Grant. Grant actually also interviewed me for my book launch, which was really fun because he's such a great guy. And yeah, it's sort of like I did a novel for them, which was, it was a fictional one. It was just fun. It's just like get the anger out. I mean, wh- wh- is it is it the is it the synthesis of like your life experience and you put it on the page, like you said, to like work through it, as opposed to some people, like some people would write nonfiction to do that. You, you just sort of is it is. I'm just fascinated why fiction is opposed to nonfiction. It's going to make me sound nuts. I apologize now. The fiction is because I have a character in my head who's telling me that stuff and I have to like get it out of my head so she'll stop talking quite so loud <laughs> some not, of the time. That is not, that is, no, that's the muse. And that, I have that, the same, that same thing is in my head. So just sounds a little crazy. It, I it, am it, well, about to embark on a memoir, helping a friend with her memoir. Oh, wonderful. Um, so that that will be new. Like I guess I can't do that for Nano though, since NaNoWriMo is national yep. novel. Right. No, I wrote. I I I updated my memoir during NaNoWriMo. I I I'm pretty sure Grant, who I know personally and I am going to vouch for, will say that that is okay as long as you are writing something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Write something. Um, I I will definitely be writing something. Yeah. 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 Memoir. It's. I mean, my, my publisher, Spark Press, who, is, who also publishes an imprint called She Writes Press, which is all about female author empowerment. Brooke Warner's the publisher, who's a fantastic person. And the, a genuine, like, you know when an editor just gets you? First, like, the, you, you just hold on to those people because, you know, as a writer, like, you could t- I could give my stuff to people and they'll be like, yeah, I'll read it. But it's not like they don't feel it, you know? And, no, Whatever you reason. need you need your writing community. That yeah. we we are we are very sensitive creatures that need people <laughs> around us who will who who will read our stuff and and not tell us how wonderful we are. I mean, tell us how wonderful the books are if they really are, but also support us in the moments where you know it's not as good as it can be and where it needs to go next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I met I met Brooks through Grant way which is great and i remember I, I i gave her like i had done a draft of it and i had done something called the story grid i don't know, if you know the story i've grid, heard of it i haven't yeah, used it i was a i was a certified story grid editor for a while i thought i was going to do that so i had a bunch of my story grid buddies read it like leslie watts who's now the i think she's the publisher i don't remember her exact title i think she's the she actually publishes books through them right now so she was my first editor, and you know we were like story nerds, and so I, the whole thing is like structurally just sound, like, it's like the framework, right? And so I, I send it to Brooke, who's a memoir expert, like no one probably better in the world, I would think, 
I mean, there's probably some, but there's, she's probably like a handful are as good as she is, right? And because she's done so many. And I was so nervous because like, this is, I'm paying you to read this and help me make it better. And you're a pro and like, like people know who you are. And I just remember, send it to her and I get an email back with this, you know, the summary. Like people that don't know this, when you, when you send a manuscript into an editor, they do like a, like a structural edit or a, you know, they'll give you a memo. <laughs> it's like, this is what all the things you need to do, right? And I just remember the first line. She's like, Jari, well, you can write. <laughs> and I'm like, thank God. <laughs> and then it was period. And here's a few things you need to work on in your book. And it was like, right? But it's all right. I mean, you know, I think 98% of what she said, I did. I just tell me what to do. You know, that's right. so powerful. Yeah, and I, I think have... for entrepreneurs, you know, I think that's the role that mentor, that coach, that, that, that does. So it's similar. And, and entrepreneurship and authorship are sort of, they're running a parallel line. They're both creative endeavors. You know, it, it's right. a matter of how the creativity comes out of us. Is it building a business or is it building a world? Yeah, Joanna Penn calls it the authorpreneur. Yeah. Even Again, kind of cool. I got to interview her too at some point. All these these author things, and no no one in entrepreneurship even knows. <laughs> no, well, and most entrepreneurs would say, why would authors need to care about all that? And then. You know, you become an author, like I went from entrepreneurship to, to writing novels and realized just how much of the building of all of it and the publicist, the publicizing and all that, that all falls on the author. Yeah. You gotta Until you're huge. Yeah. It, it's all done by the author. Yeah. And like, when's that ever going to happen? <laughs> it was, everyone's like, oh, did you like the book, you know, my memoir, Ride or Die came out two weeks ago. I was talking to Congrats. someone. They're like, "Oh, how's the sales going? Do you have? Do you know how much you've made yet?" I'm like, "I will. One, it's going to be another six months before I even know. And two, you don't get rich on being a writer, right? That's just you do it for the love. You have to at a certain point until yep. you're like Joanna Penn or you know Stephen Pressfield. A friend of mine just got a seven-figure deal, and I am so through the the moon for her." Like she's been writing for about three years and, and wow. her books are fantastic. And so yeah. That's so great. You just And it also was a reminder that that she's just she was an engineer, in fact, and decided to become a full time writer, novelist. It yeah. can happen. Yeah. It's like it's like building a business, like an entrepreneur. I mean, it is a business. Like don't make it no is. mistake about it. Parallels are strikingly similar and i always say that you know entrepreneurs are the creatives of the business world and if you build something from nothing authors build something from nothing you know the voice in your head the voice in my head this rattling around the creative muse the thing we tap into the whatever you call it the other plane of consciousness which people think is a little woo woo but you're like no like i'm not kidding when i say there's something Until i don't know the what the voice starts talking to you you don't get it yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was writing the memoir, that voice was my late wife, Jane, right? Every, every muse is different. I mean, there's the cosmic muse that's, that, as the artist, you tap into. 
and and then there's the muse on each individual book and depending on the character you know you you know jane you know obviously she was a real person so in my mind as i'm writing this all i'm hearing is like you sure you want to say that that's not the way it happened don't make me look bad you know like you're like oh but let me get the first draft right done and, yeah, yeah. And, and exactly. let me get the first draft done. Then you can edit it. Yeah, yeah. Then you can be meticulous and menacing and absolute, like, cold, hardcore editor. But, you know, you can be, you know, <laughs> you can beat me up all you want, but I need to get this out on the page. I think that was the most important thing I realized about being an author. Yep. Just get it down, man. Just get it down. Yeah, my, my first NaNoWriMo, I was like, oh, my. 50,000 words in a month. How, how does one do that? And my second NaNoWriMo was when I wrote my, my novel, my vampire novel, and I did 84,000 words yeah. in the month because it yeah. just, it just crazy, huh? Wasn't going to stop. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I think when I first did it, when I did that one novel, I think it was like, yeah, 58,000 maybe. Mm -hmm. I just, I I mean, let me, is there such thing as a writer as writer's block, or is it just no? You're just procrastinating. What do you? Think? I think the muse absolutely gets mad at us. Hmm. I I was I'm working with a fantastic editor right now to, to try to get my uh, Elizabeth. My vampire's name is Elizabeth to get her story to the next level so that I can shop it around and like she just was not talking to me at all i was working on stuff and i realized because of how we phrased something that i was you know books especially women's fiction they're all about the the emotional wounds and what you're healing from and yada yada and i had something like her wound we had the word trauma in it and she was mad she would not talk to me until i was like okay let's come up with a new way of phrasing it what are you okay with but yeah for like months i didn't have her voice in my head and i was like oh my god i'm never gonna write another word she's not speaking to me like and no other characters are coming through and what's what am i gonna do yeah yeah we, i mean we I work it's through it yeah well i think it's similar for entrepreneurs too i don't they may not call it the voice in their head but there's something that's dri driving them to go like there's some muse. They just don't call it the muse because they're not very, you know, artsy <laughs> like writers. <laughs> you know. Well, and it's that idea that that takes hold and won't let go. Yeah. And I think sometimes we hold on to bad business ideas because we're afraid there won't be another one. Yes. We keep working on manuscripts that we should let go because we're afraid there won't be another one. But when yes, you can put it to the side, you then make the brain space for the next idea. Jody, that's the perfect place to end. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. For sharing your journey. Fabulous. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. 
You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.